We say things that don't mean anything, but thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to We Say Things, episode 192, sponsored by Manscaped. Summer's coming. Are you... You're highlighting the thing so I can't see it. Thank you. Are you ready to <laughs> unveil your beach bod? Manscaped is here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing full-body grooming and hygiene products. Don't be the guy at the beach with Austin Powers chest hair, and if you grew some winter man tits, the least you can do is make sure they're hairless. It's time to get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code WESAYTHINGS20. I'm shocked they said tits in the freaking promo. That's... You had to do a double take there. I thought it was a typo for a moment. I thought maybe you went in there and typed it yourself. I don't know. <laughs> I love going into <laughs> the text and just editing it for fun. So it says winter man tits. That's right. That so, sounds like something I would definitely do. As always, thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring us. Uh, they are our long-standing sponsor. So if you guys want to support us, you can support them by going to manscaped.com and using We Say Things 20 for 20% off and free shipping for all their cool products. Uh, also, thank you to our patrons from the In Bruges tier, Pepperballs, Charlie Cheen, T-Coil, I hope I can find a way to cosplay Mega Meepo at TI. Q Ludes is enjoying the wonderful casting. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. Stupid underscore copilot, D2 Bowie, Lab Dota, Yatoro does it again, Cinderin. You should check out Three Clicks Phillips video about a CSGO roguelite and add, I wish someone made one for Dota. Okay, check that out. Magdev wants volumetric smokes in Dota 2. Dear Valve, marketing is the process of promoting products or services to create value <laughs> for customers and drive business growth. Disco Farm D, I looked under Ballsack today and found mold. The old adage, cheese in my teeth, eth, eth in my teeth, teeth, cheese in my teeth. What the fuck is wrong with you? The Mega Pope, not an ad, TI in New Zealand, and Zan Xavier. I'm surprised you read that one out when you were unsure about the... Well, okay. Nate Thicko, zero one Hamscroats. Bacon, Shark TM, freshly seasoned goat balls. Janie, Dop, nothing to see here. Underscore Man, Guitar Strings, Yves Raymond. Ben Broomhead says hi to his friend Emery from Pixel. Wooden Aftertaste, Anonymous, and... When kangaroo are born, they're only about one inch long and weigh less than a penny. Nibbling. Hmm. Such a little one. It's a little baby. Uh, okay, so we're going to start this episode with a bang. The NBA segment, which, by the way, we'll talk about this a bit a little later, about our fan interactions at the Berlin Major, but... I was disgusted. Cinder can There's attest to this. We had so many people say that they loved the NBA segment. I thought it was just going to, like... We see comments every now and then. It's just like a couple people. I just consider, you know, I figure it's just the same people. A lot. Over 15 people, easily. I think one person said they wished that the NBA segment was at the end because they obviously didn't like it, but they were trying to be polite. Everybody else loves the NBA segment. So I'll say 
probably let's say 90% of the people that came over and said it probably play, said it as a joke and you didn't realize. <laughs> okay. And there was like one or two people that genuinely started discussing basketball with you. That's right. So, um, appreciate good joke, that guys. Yep. Keep that joke running. Okay. So mm. we have a lot to cover for NBA because <laughs> lots happen. I'm skipping on some stuff. Uh, so first from a, a broader standpoint, we're in the second round of the playoffs right now. Okay. Nice. Congrats. You and, started off 0-2, right? Uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. I was going to talk about oh. the general playoffs. Okay. So how do I put this? There's two conferences. Each have eight teams. Mm-hmm. Each rank, so one through eight, if you combine them, every single rank won a series. That's the first time that's ever happened, which means an eight seed beat a number one seed. That's very rare. There's only, it's only happened like three other times. Seven seed beat a two seed. Six seed beat a three seed. Five seed beat a four seed. And then vice versa. Right? Oh. So the parity is incredible. It's never been this competitive before. Um, the Suns, I, I can't remember the last time we even talked. We were playing against the Clippers, who lost, as usual, both their best players to injury. Nothing new for them. Um, and we beat them 4-1. So now we're in the second round of the playoffs against oh, the... one. Yeah, we beat them 4-1. Uh, okay. And now we're playing the Denver Nuggets in the second round. We're the four seed. They're the one, one seed. So they have home court advantage. They beat us the first two games. Then we came back and won the next two. And then yesterday we played them and we got shellacked. So now we're down 2-3. And it's not looking good, not going to lie. I don't really have much faith in the team right now because we have... Oh, so this was the one you started 0-2 in? Yeah. I I, see, I see, okay. I could see it maybe going seven games, but I can't see us winning this series. Uh, Although I will say, Devin Booker has been on the arguably the best offensive stretch in playoff history his numbers are the only person that's even comparable to the amount of points and efficiency that he's had is michael jordan just to show you how ridiculous he's been like he's been scoring like 45 points on in some games 80 percent field goal percentage which is fucking absurd like literally never been done before that's but, crazy, actually. Fun fact, when Michael Jordan put out those numbers, that was the inspiration for when he wrote Thriller later on. Good one, Cinderin. Yeah. So yeah, that one's not going to go great. And I have a small, quick story before we actually start the podcast. I thought you'd find this funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was debating showing the video, but I don't know if I can get DMCA'd for that shit, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not messing with the NBA on that. Uh, so their best player on the Nuggets is Nikola Jokic. He's from Serbia, I think. And he's a two-time MVP. He's fucking ridiculously good. And we have a new owner, as you know. His name is Matt Ishbia. He was in the stands on, at game four in Phoenix, like courtside, basically. And the mm-hmm. ball goes out of bounds, and he catches it, right? And there's like this... It's one of those plays where one of our players like dives into the crowd to try to save it, and he's kind of stuck there, and now there's a big group of people just huddled around. He's holding the ball. Nikola Jokic is trying to get the ball away from uh, the owner uh, in order to get like a five-on-four fast break kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the owner is kind of holding on to it and doesn't let him get it, right? So it's like this weird interaction. And then eventually the ball flips free, and then Jokic pushes the owner like with his elbow, 
and the owner falls down onto you know falls back back into his chair and they have to the refs have to look at the video Nikola Jokic ends up getting a technical foul so that's one free throw for us and then later he's fined $25,000 now the hilarious thing about this is we're obviously watching live and now keep in mind Matt didn't know it was the owner probably yeah he didn't know at the time probably uh but the owner is so the entire this is where it's going to seem like i'm very biased i feel like i'm extremely realistic with this kind of stuff the if you look at the video everybody says that he flopped he flopped like he faked falling or whatever mm-hmm. so i mean it's possible he embellished a bit but the thing to understand is the, the owner is like five nine five ten he played mm-hmm. college basketball but like he was one of those guys that you know was at the end of the bench and you know was like a spark plug kind of guy. Nikola Jokic is fucking seven foot, two hundred fifty pound, maybe three hundred something pounds. Actually, he's fucking huge. Shoving somebody—if you shove me like this when you're standing, like think of—you have no room to move because everybody's huddled around and there's a chair behind you that's at your knees. If you have any type of movement, you're going to fall down in your chair. People, I don't seem, seem, don't seem to understand that Jokic could literally push anybody down with just a slight shove. But anyway, if you want to look up that video, it's hilarious. There's no bad blood between them. They uh, talk the next game or whatever. So it's not like there's any actual drama, but it was just one of those absolutely hilarious moments where our owner got us a technical foul, basically. Technical foul point on the other team. Okay, so I'm, I'm reading your chat right now, and literally everyone says he flopped. Yeah, I know. I mean, you can watch the video yourself. I mean, I'm telling you, every single... So this is, what I, this, is what the, this is what I find interesting, is when it's happening, the announcers, which, by the way, I, as much as I love Grant Hill, used to be on The Suns, fucking terrible announcer... They call it a flop right off the bat and just like infects everybody's brain or something. Like, I don't understand. Like, how do you not fall back with a shove like that from a seven foot guy that's 300 something pounds? Like, come on, dude. I would have, I would have pushed him over. Yeah, of course. Uh, okay. And I would have kept the ball and then the audience would have clapped. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I would have eaten the, the funny thing is, it doesn't even matter if he flopped. It's hilarious either way. But I think people mm-hmm. thinking that it's a flop is also hilarious in its own right because it's like one of those things where people don't realize how strong these players are. Like, oh, I could have stood. Come on, fuck on, dude. There's no way. <laughs> this guy, his shits are bigger than you, for God's sake. Anywho. That's uh, a mental image. Thank you. All right, let's go on to the Berlin Major. Uh, I want to talk about fan interaction first. We... Didn't have a signing session or anything like that, but we had people come between games as we were casting, and it was awesome. Really appreciate you guys showing up, especially the NBA segment people, my favorite. Uh, but that was, I don't know, it felt different somehow. Did it feel different to you? Or was I just in a weird mood? How do you mean? I don't know. It, it felt, uh, I don't even know how to explain how I was feeling, but... It was nice. I enjoyed it. Not that I don't enjoy it in prior tournaments, but I think... I, okay, so here's maybe a better way to explain it. So a lot of the other tournaments like, will be stopped when we're walking around the arena, just like impromptu type stuff. Or it's just signing sessions where you know we set something up. This one is just very organic. 
people right. were very polite and i don't know it it was just a nice experience i enjoyed it quite a bit and it made me want to do merch by the way we'll talk about that at some point yep i want to see people wearing we say things shirts <laughs> we'll think, think of something yeah so i think in order what fans said obviously the the majority of people that came over wanted either a signature or a photo which is standard but I found it very surprising. First of all, how many people were talking about the NBA segment saying, saying they liked it, which was very surprising, to say the least. Mm -hmm. um, I think the second most thing that people asked was, when is What the Horse coming back? Oh, yeah, that's that right. one was almost equally surprising. We ran that for, I don't know how many episodes, but it's a long time ago we did it. Um, and that's something that we might be looking into, I think. Uh, I think both of us want to do the episodes, but the problem is how much prep it takes and how that's something that you need more people involved with, right? Because you need to sift through a lot of clips to find interesting ones that you can make the show out of. Then it needs to be edited, and then we finally get to record it for like half an hour, 45 minutes, or however much it used to be, um, with a guest as well. So, yeah, it's quite a lot of setup, but it is really fun. It's my favorite content that we made probably um yeah but yeah it's it's a lot of effort so it's a pain we'll in the ass but together it was, it was cool to hear so many people wanted to see it and um, some a to zers as well out there yeah some a to z fans that were like you guys that's something we could give another shot to with the new matchmaking maybe it's better but the last time we did it it was atrocious we had really long queues to get absolutely awful games it was not good content so we stopped doing it again pretty quickly in season two um but yeah it was really cool does uh it was nice to see the fans come over and like you said i personally like this way of interacting with fans more than having a designated signing session because when we, when you have it like this like you said it's more organic uh and the other thing is with signing sessions in the official capacity there's like a time limit right generally or people kind of you lose a little bit of that personal thing because it it gets pushed along faster, right? Like this time we had like mm -hmm. conversations with people for a longer time and uh, maybe took some more fun photos and people also among themselves in the queue interacted more, it felt like. So that was nice for sure. Uh, and then as far as our experience at the tournament, I'll give my take. Uh, so probably the most well-run tournament I've been to ever. I don't know if that's exaggerating but there was no issues uh definitely up there it was like in terms of the play no issues at all i didn't hear any complaints from players and the venue was good i think the only knock that i have was the food and somebody wanted us to talk about this as well our experience with food um so i would say in my experience in Europe, generally the average food is going to be worse than the U.S. just because there's less variety. Like in the U.S., you can get pretty much top-notch of any cuisine. Uh, and Germany, for Berlin specifically, like, first of all, the food that was provided by ESL was not great. That's my only knock on the entire tournament. The catering, yeah, the, ca like, the catering was definitely the biggest letdown overall. Like, but everything else was like, great. The hotel was nice, but first night I <laughs> ordered a burger 
because I was starving and I got there late. It came raw. So I got that uh, charged back to my room. Literally raw. Um, That's insane. I, <laughs> I took a picture of it as well. And then the next day, I'm like, all right, can't possibly get any worse than this. And it wasn't worse, but I ordered a chicken club sandwich. It was fucking disgusting. My God. I don't know what the fuck they put <laughs> it in it. So I ate like half of it and I couldn't eat anymore. So I put and uh I put it in, you know, its packaging or whatever and I left it outside my door, which that's normal to do in hotels and they specifically mm-hmm. even the waiter said just to remind me because apparently people don't do this sometimes, leave your food outside the door, we'll pick it up. It was there mm-hmm. for 3 days, Cinderin. On the second day, I told them at the front desk, please pick up the food. It's rotting in the hallway. And they didn't pick it up for another day on top of it. It was three full days of this rotting food outside my door. Anyway, that's a, it's just random hotel stuff. But uh, I will say the one food that I had that was really good was Donor, which is a shawarma, by the way. Yep. Uh, people... Okay. Let's go off on a quick tangent, Cinderin. All right? Okay. Uh, you have the stream mm-hmm. on? Because I have a picture to show. I think you've seen this. Okay. So, people got really upset the first time that I said donors are shawarma, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about, and I, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about this, you know? I mean, I've had a shawarma in the Middle East many a time. It's pretty freaking similar to the donor, but let's just double check. Look at the history. Some Turkish guy brought the shawarma to like Germany or some European country, and they just called it a donor. It's a fucking shawarma. Come on, man. And here, let's look at this graphic. Let's look at this graphic. These are the hot dogs of the world based on... Let me just get this ready to go. So I'm not going to read off what they all do. These are hot dogs that different regions create. Okay? okay. Look at how different some of them are. Okay? Is, uh, is Denmark on here? Let's see. There's Bagel Dog, Kansas City, Chili, Philippines. There don't even is. use a bun. There's... Oh, the Danish one is so good. All right, tell me what's in the Danish one. It says on the picture. Yeah, just tell me because it's small on my screen. Oh. And people can't, you know, I audio see, listeners. Yeah, audio, list, audio listeners, can you just look at the image? <laughs> um, all right, so I'll just read it out loud. Long hot dog in a bun, pickle chips. Remoulade, ketchup, mustard, fried onions, chopped onions. That's very accurate. Very good. Yes. All right. Very good. So, as you can see, by the way, Norway needs to step it up. This is fucking horrible. This is like if you run out of ingredients. It's literally like a pita bread wrapped around a hot dog. What the fuck? What the fuck is that? That's bullshit. Long hot dog wrapped in a large toasted tortilla or flatbread with ketchup or mustard. Yeah, I don't know. They, 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 They fucked that one up. Anyway... So the point is, right. these are all considered hot dogs, and some of them are quite drastically different. I would argue maybe a like couple of these, of maybe a couple of these listeners. should not be considered hot dogs. But for the most part, these are a lot of different takes on hot dogs. Okay, so okay. for me, shawarma is the rotating spindle of meat with bread. That is a shawarma. You can put whatever the fuck you want in and around it. It's a shawarma. That's what mm-hmm. a donor is as well. Now, having said that, we ate at a place in Berlin. The donor, we started eating there repeatedly because it was so good. Holy shit. Uh, to the point where it was just giving me horrible diarrhea, but I just kept eating there because it was delicious. 
So that's the only thing in Berlin that I like to eat. And we went to a super fancy restaurant, like super fucking fancy. You loved it, of course. Pretentious and all. It's terrible. Just terrible. I mean, first, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that place was super fancy, but it was a fancy restaurant. It was a good place. And I, I enjoyed it. You enjoyed some of it. I enjoyed most of it. Yeah, there was one that looks like it came with a cockroach on it, but it was a shrimp. <laughs> I call it the mm, cockroach hopefully. dish. So, did, so I, mean, I guess in fairness and conclusion about this, basically everything ESL were fully in control of ran really well, and the major downsides were the hotel catering, which, you know, and the hotel, what was it called? The... Um, the room service, which you had, I didn't have it, and the venue catering, which I think the venue catering, I don't really know how you get around because I think there's a contract between the venue and a provider. So well, if you get catering there, I think it has to come from their partner. So and generally at these good. events, if you don't like the food, the organizer will buy you food. Yeah. Like you just order out, which we did twice, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. The food... Outside of the donor, it's just so bland to me. And maybe that's just because they put sugar in everything in America. I don't know. Didn't you also like the, the hot dog place we went to? I thought that was good, too. Yeah, that was fine. And you had a currywurst, right? You yeah. Tried oh, that yeah. Too. Currywurst is good. Yeah, I've had that before, though. But yeah, currywurst okay. is... I do like currywurst. Yeah. Good point, Cinderin. Okay, so that was our experience at the tournament. Now we can talk about just standings and how the tournament actually went. So... Uh, spoilers, Game and Gladiators win again. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Two majors in a row for Quinn Callahan uh, as they 3-1 Liquid in the finals. Liquid had a bit of a hard road to get there, though. They lost in the first round of the playoffs to OG 2-1 and then had to go through the lower brackets the whole way. Yep. Um, but yeah, what, what were your thoughts on the tournament? Any big surprises? Uh, I think the biggest surprise for me was Nine Pandas getting third, which definitely not expecting that. And they had a good chance of getting second, so I think they should be really proud of that result. I think especially Kiyotaka really gained some fans this event. Yeah, he played some outstanding mid games, and his hero pool was pretty interesting. He was playing Tinker, he was playing Storm. I mean, most players were playing Storm to be fair, but. He had like a tinker up in there. He had another specialty hero, which I'm forgetting right now that people also started banning against him. But he had his own flavor. Um, and they were basically the only team to repeatedly let Medusa through and they would beat oh yeah, it they, sometimes. Yeah, they, they were beating Medusa quite a bit as well until, I mean, they did ban it toward the end eventually, but they won their first three games against it. So, uh, and have, had some cool strats against that, but didn't really couldn't carry it through the whole way in the end. I think they specifically countered carry Medusa very well, but not so much on the other positions, and teams just started first picking Deuce and flexing it between every roll, because the hero was that broken. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the biggest positive surprise, I would say. Let's see, what's, what was the biggest negative surprise? I have to... Well, let's see, who lost out in the groups that was surprising? Betboom, that star-studded yeah, roster. Probably. Betboom looked like they were getting upper bracket, and then they got eliminated. They went from seven and I want to say seven three to eight eight, and then they lost the tiebreaker. Yeah, to Astra and EG. Um, 
EG also positive surprise. They got fourth. I think that's a solid result. And yeah, I mean that's probably it, right? Those were the biggest surprises. I what did we? Did you write down our choices? I did. Let me see here. Oh, very uh, good. I mean, I'm certain I picked Team Liquid and Shopify, so I got one wrong. What did Shopify actually end up? Let's see. So I think you picked, if I'm not mistaken Ninth, here, you picked, you picked Liquid EG Shopify. Liquid EG Shopify. And I picked Liquid Spirit EG, unless this was a different tournament, but I don't think so. I think this was for this one. Okay. So I win. So we both got Liquid in the top three. This can't be right. We definitely picked Gaming Gladiators, both of us. Did I've we? got this wrong. I don't remember. Where the hell is this document? I was going to commend you for being so organized, but Why as usual. Why find the document? There's no way this is true. I think we both had Gaming Gladiators and Liquid, and then I think our thirds, I think I had Spirit and you had Shopify. That's how I remember it, but I could be wrong. Sure, I'll take two out of three. Why not? Or maybe I had EG. Anyway, I, I'm, we could go back and find. I don't understand why I don't have that here. Yeah. So anything else about the tournament you want to talk about? Because we'll talk about the patch a little later. So we can kind of include our experience casting games on this current patch. But aside from that, I'm, I'm done talking about the major, unless you got something else, big boy. Uh, I mean, just to give an update on the DPC standings, I suppose. That's always oh, interesting. True. Um, so now Game and Gladiators have won two majors back to back. They're not still not mathematically qualified for TI. <laughs> Cause um so effectively the way the point system works is you get DPC points within your region, and then you get DPC points at the major. And first place in your region is five hundred points, and first place at the major is five hundred points. So they're weighed equally. And it's by design so that each region gets representation at TI, because otherwise, uh, as it stands right now, some regions would not have a single team there. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's why. Um, and it, it looks kind of silly, because Liquid are locked in as the only team in the world right now with 1,500 points, and they are locked in with, what's this, a... Well, I, I, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm wrong about the regional points. The regional points are 400, not 500 for first. Are they actually locked in? I heard that they were actually a couple points shy, technically. Liquid speaking. are locked in, 100%. Okay. And I'm also wrong. Okay, so I'm saying the scaling completely wrong. But effectively, from what I can see here, so this things scale up, right? They're worth more every season. So tournament three is the most valuable one in terms of number of points. In tournament one, Liquid got 300 points for getting first. And then they got 350 for getting second at the major, which means the major first place with 400. And then in season two, they got two, 400 points for getting first, and then 450 at the major for getting second. So same scaling. And Gaming Gladiators won the first major for 400, won the second major for 500, but within the region, they only got second and third instead of two first places. And those were worth 180 and 160, respectively. So they lost, they were 120 points behind Liquid going into the first major. Uh, and then going into the second major just from within that season itself, they were 240 points behind. 
mm-hmm. getting third against Liquid's first. So there's so many points within the region, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, and a lot of people think this is stupid, like how are Game & Gladiator is not an auto-invite after winning two majors, and I would kind of agree with that. I feel like every system has its flaws, but there's also, it's extremely unlikely they don't get their own points already, but technically possible. Yeah, that would be... Uh... <laughs> so, that would be kind of ridiculous. Man, oh man. Yeah, I expect them to be just fine. Okay, so that is anyway. the that was the Berlin Major. Next up, we have the Road to the International, a blog. Uh, hmm? No, never mind. Let's not go over the rest of the rankings. Liquid and Gaming Gladiators are the only two teams going to TI. A blog posted <laughs> by Valve. If you an update after two or three. Yeah, well, I mean, you said the third major is the most points by far, so that's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by design, I well, guess. We didn't really say what other teams are looking good to get there, but it's okay. That's okay. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. You can All right. find it yourself. I'm going to read the blog that Valve posted. So first and foremost, they posted a video, which I'm not going to show. It took very little effort to make this video. <laughs> we all watched the video of this announcement for TI. And we're like, I mean... The announcements, the, the end result is like, okay, we were happy about that, but the video is like literally like 15 seconds long or something. Mark your calendars. The International returns to Seattle this October. The world's best Dota teams will once again compete for the Aegis of Champions, this time in Climate Pledge Arena, <laughs> welcoming the largest audience in events history. So Climate Pledge Arena is the old key arena. They just, has a new name, and I think they redid a bunch of stuff. This year, the group stage kicks off on Saturday, October 14th, with the playoffs to follow. Both of these events will run under one banner, the Road to the International, which we'll be talking more about in coming weeks. International itself will commence on Friday, October 27th, and run through Sunday, October 29th. We'll be announcing ticketing information and more details on the Road to the International as you get closer to the event. So, there's a few topics here. Mm -hmm. Number one is Seattle. Number two is the amount of days that are being played on the main event and i feel like there's a third one that i can't think of right now the naming convention the name oh calling it the road to the international yeah i guess uh oh no the other thing was it's in october so okay okay, let's talk about that first fact that it's in october i'm a little bit surprised by i thought they would Obviously, the time that you would want to have it, I think, is August because a lot of kids are off school. It's summer vacation, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, with COVID and the past stuff, things have been, you know, a bit wonky. I thought that they would try to move it close, like maybe not do it in one year, but over a course of two years, like one month each until you get back to August. So for me, October, it's a bit of a bummer. Uh, It doesn't matter for me, I guess, but for people attending, I'm sure that does. Mm -hmm. And it's in Seattle, which I'm happy with. Back in Seattle, uh, it means Valve will be closer to this thing. They can, 
I assume they'll have more people available to work on it, so it should be a better production, hopefully, than the last one. I, I've heard Seattle in October is not great weather-wise, but I haven't been there, so I don't know. August has been pretty good, though. Yep. Uh, your thoughts on those two topics? Yeah, I, I agree. I thought they were going to try to shift it step by step to get back to August because there's multiple benefits aside from the one you mentioned I think something that's worth considering is overall health uh people are less sick in August than they are in October so it makes for a smoother experience for fans it makes for a smoother experience for players it makes for a smoother experience for talent everyone involved production the whole thing there's just going to be less sickness if you have it in the summer than if you have it in fall or almost approaching winter at that point, right? Um, and obviously that goes hand in hand with the weather. So I would have loved for them to move it to September this year. I think it was possible with the tournament year because the final major is in July. So you could have, I mean, it would have squeezed it a little bit with the qualifiers, I suppose, but uh, I think that would have been for the greater good of the future. But yeah, with this, I don't know, maybe maybe the next year's season will change so that we can push it forward as well. Um, Seattle sounds good to me. I, I have a lot of good memories of Seattle. Obviously, we were there for many years. We were there from 2012 till 2017, so six years in a row. Um, and all those events were great. So I'm, I, have, I assume that, or <clears throat> excuse me, I suppose with... With that choice of location, the expectations are also going to rise. So I really hope Valve rise the occasion to put on a great show. Uh, because, yeah, there's just so many good memories of this. Um, and then the big question with the main event only being three days. So we've had different formats, right? We had the first many years of TI. The, with the Let's just exclude TI1 from that because there was an outlier. We had, I want to say, a six-day arena event. Yep. Um, and then last year, we had a separate uh, arena event where we had two different arenas, which didn't seem to be that big of a hit with people. I personally don't mind it, but I think the first arena should have probably been bigger. Um, and now, with this wording, for now, it sounds like there's three arena days. Um, yeah. That's an assumption. This isn't necessarily true, because they haven't announced anything about venue aside from the venue for the international. But clearly, the venue for the international is for three days, uh, which would mean if <clears throat> if this is all that will be played on stage, there will only be six teams playing in front of a crowd for TI, which I think would be a huge letdown for a lot of fans and a lot of teams. Um, when we have three days left, I believe it's top six usually. So I'm assuming Valve have not really changed the format of TI. They've just changed the spacing, but... The format, for the most part, has been the same forever. Um, at least for the playoffs. So I hope that, like, there's still... I'm still copiuming here that before these three days, there will be something in maybe Benaroya Hall, which is very, <laughs> you know, that is that would very be nostalgic for me. Hype. Some of my favorite Dota moments That would be amazing. are from there. Um and you could play some of the playoff in there. It's okay if you can't get Key Arena or, or Climate Pledge Arena or don't want it for six days, but I really feel like every team making the playoffs should get to play on stage at least once. <clears throat> and that was what the old format allowed for. All 16 teams in the playoffs played on stage minimum one time. 
Yeah. Um, and I thought that was good. I thought, sure, you didn't have massive audiences for the first two or three days in the arena, and maybe Valve thinks that looks bad. I feel like fans kind of understand, and the audience understands for the most part, and they're just memeing when they're like, lol, Ricky Crowd or whatever. I mean, it's fucking Wednesday at 10 a.m. Do you expect the arena to be full? Probably not, right? But it's just really, it's a really good look for the tournament, and it's a really good experience for the teams. And as long as you're selling enough tickets to pay for the day, then mm. whether people show up for one series or all three or four is kind of like, you know, whatever, as long as it pays. I mean, your idea of Benaroya is actually really good. I didn't even think about that as a possibility. That would be so nice. Because filling that up for those early days is not going to be hard at all. It's the capacity is like two and a half K seats, I think. Capacity is not big, but that's what made mm. it so special, I think. Uh, I, I know I'm a negative Nancy, so I'm going to try to drink some of this drink. Some of this copium with you, Cinderin. <laughs> I am afraid that that is not going to be the case, though. And we are just continuing to see cutback after cutback from last year's battle pass. Uh, I think it's going to go down that road again. We're going to have three days only in front of a crowd. Uh, like last TI with the talent being split into two locations. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Since mm-hmm. they'll be in Seattle, so more home turf. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not feeling great about this right now. And one thing in terms of the, the moniker that they they use, the road to the international. Did you notice in this entire blog post, they didn't use the words TI12 once. You think that's weird? Oh, <clears throat> I don't know. I wasn't reading too much into that. But you're okay. right. They didn't write 12 anywhere. I mean, maybe it's nothing, but that it's very strange that it wouldn't mm-hmm. write TI-12 somewhere. So basically, most of the event will be called the Road to the International, which is a bit weird because it feels like that's what the whole year is already. Exactly, yeah. And then the last three days are TI. And so, it also begs the question, like, that's the thing about this for me, is what does the road... I mean, they write here that they're going to announce more stuff in the coming weeks, right? So, of course, we're going to get our an- questions answered. But, like, sp- just speculation-wise, when you rename it with these conventions, it feels like potentially one interpretation here is that Valve themselves will be hands-on for the international itself for those three days, but the rest might just be outsourced, right? That's one possible interpretation, is that they're just letting let's say, for example, just PGL run the whole show until the last three days where they get involved, or um, that they're setting it up in a different way where by labeling it this way, they lower expectations for production value until the final three days where they go all out, which, again, I'm okay with them only going all out for the last three. I just hope that the road to the international doesn't become, how to say... A smaller production than a major, right? Yeah. Because well, that's the other the thing. Group, the group stages have always been a smaller deal, and that's totally fine. And I think the community is okay with that. And I think, arguably, it's even good that you don't try to like make a massive, large scale production for the entire two weeks. I think it's too much, and I think it diminishes when things get really hype. So, having the group stage be smaller is cool, but I still would love to have more of the playoffs in front of an audience than just three days. So I really, really hope that there's going to be something like that. So in terms of like the cutting back on TI and whatnot, um, 
also another thing that we've brought up before that you need to keep in mind is this Riyadh tournament, right? Mm-hmm. It's fucking huge. Huge prize pool. I mean, from an outside perspective, it just feels like they're trying to compete with TI. <laughs> and they're, they might actually beat the prize pool. Who knows how bad that's going to be. But if this continues down this trend, I would not be surprised in like a year or two if they continue to do the Riyadh Masters that it ends up being bigger than TI, which mm-hmm. would be sad because this is supposed to be the official championship of the game. But it's just obviously not the amount of care being put into it that we would like. And maybe that's because people are just at Valve are just not as interested in Dota these days, which, you know, it's been 12 years or whatever, so... Yeah, kind of a matter of time, but it would it would be interesting if it becomes a competition between them, and Valve feel like they need to match. You know, do you think Valve gives a shit about that? I really don't. You don't? No, I kind of do. I kind of do think. Really? I think they do want Ti to be the biggest event. Well, sure, they could want it, but are they going to do anything about it? I don't think so. It's another story entirely. Well, this is also the first year, or actually, I guess it's technically the second. It's the second Riyadh Masters, but it's the first one with this kind of like magnitude. Uh, it feels like the last time they ran it was a bit more of a trial run, almost um, yeah. proof of concept. So we'll see where they take this um, for coming seasons as well. Obviously, it sounds like it's not just going to be a one-off uh, that they run that, but. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it for TI for now, right? It's like you said, it's a short teaser. The video is really short. There's, they're not showing anything except the Aegis, and it's saying that it's going to be in Seattle. Um, there's no additional information. So I hope, we, I hope we know a lot more and we get positive news through June, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. We shall see. Okay, let's do a couple different roster shuffle thingies. Uh, Sumail, he was playing for Aster, standing in at the major, and they did quite well with him, and he yep. d- destroyed. Uh, he has left Nigma officially and joined Aster, uh, which means Nigma will be without Sumail. So they're gonna have to find a replacement for him. They're gonna be Div two, obviously. Obviously, didn't want to play Div two. Do you think that that's gonna be? I mean. China as a whole, pretty weak region right now. And I think I think it was Boboka that went on record saying that Chinese mid laners are hard to come by these days. So yeah. Sumail, obviously one of the top echelon mid laners of all time. Yeah, I uh I mean he played well and it looked like they gelled well and they were having fun together at the <clears throat> at the major. When you saw them on camera, especially Sumail and Boboka seemed to have a good duo going and that's that synergy between the two and four is definitely valuable. Um, I want to say, so obviously communication on a deeper level when it comes to like preparation is going to be a lot harder. If you're just standing in for a tournament and just playing, you know, you come in, they know what you're about, you play your heroes, you do your best. But if you start boot camping and you need to like start theory crafting and talk strategy, uh, I'm curious how limiting that will feel for the team to have Sumail. Um, the only prior experience example i can remember of this happening was when black played for vici gaming yep i don't think there's been any other fully chinese team and that worked out pretty well for a while which one black uh it went well yeah yeah it definitely did for a while um it's the only example i can think of though because i think the rest that we've had in china with 
uh, with non-Chinese players have generally been players from SCA that can speak Chinese or uh, players, uh, mixed teams like LGD International that was playing in China, but it was five international players, right? Um, so this is very novel to have a Western player in China. And Sumail has a huge fan base in China. And it is by many considered the strongest enemy of the region of the region of all time, right? Because he crushed them at TI5 and he's always this guy's just really good, right? And he's one of the yep. one of the Western stars. So he's definitely gonna be very loved over there if they get results. So that's really exciting. Um aside from him from Nigma, they have also released Amar. So Amar will be playing for fuck I forgot. <laughs> yeah, an org I've never not heard of before. Uh, let me find them. Or they weren't recognizable. Uh, let's see here. Oh yeah, that's right. Quest Esports is what they're called. So he's on loan. He's not technically. He's not technically off Nigma, but they're loaning him out, and they are. The, I believe with Sumail, it's not a loan, but rather a transfer. But let me confirm that as well for technical reasons. No, Samel's also on loan. All right, so they're both on loan, hmm. uh, which means they're still contracted with Nigma, but they're loaning them out. And um, Amar will play for Quest, which is Ordu Thunders. Oh, He'll okay. Be That's replacing who they the offlaner Wieter. Uh, I don't know. I can't pronounce this. Wieter. Wieter, however you say it. Um, sure. Who used to play offlane for them. So it looks like Amar will be back in the offlane officially, which seems to be where he feels at home. Um, and that begs the question, who's going to play for Nigma, right? Because now both are out. The rumors currently, uh, are that Nigma will get Yuma for their carry position, who is, uh, actually just promoted to Div 1. <laughs> back down you and, go. And will now be bouncing back down, but obviously there's some... Serious potentially, he was playing for D two Hustlers that won the tiebreaker for Div One. Um, but yeah, he We're talking about he NA. No, D two Hustlers wasn't NA. They used to be NA, but this season they were EU. Oh, okay. Um, and I think this will be the f so this would have been the first time that a player from Nicaragua was going to play in Div One. Can you say that again? Um, Am I saying it wrong? You no, know, just say it. It's very nice. Nicaragua. I don't know if you pronounce it exactly like that. But... That's nice. That's a good anyway. pronunciation. Uh, that's interesting to see representation for that country. Nicaragua. I think it's the first that's how Americans from say the country it. ever. Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Probably. Um, so the rumor is him on carry, and then obviously people are speculating maybe someone like Mikey. You know, he had a great stand and stint with Shopify Rebellion recently. Maybe he's a player Enigma would be looking at. Yeah, that would be. Which hype. I think is very likely. Um, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what Enigma end up with. We'll see how these merge teams work out. And I, I, mean, I guess the one that most people are excited about is Samail Tasta, right? It's such a unique yeah, story. But who so, knows if Miracle comes back as well, right? So we don't know that either. Technically, um, I th wait. Was there any news on that? Uh, since we're I don't talking know if about any official news on that, since we're talking about I China, the... that reminded me. Did you want to finish your thought? No, I just I thought there was a I thought there was a some sort of official news that Miracle was still on break, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe so something I'm making up. That reminded me of uh, Faith Beyond. We met. 
at the Berlin Major. And I have to say... I love that guy. Generally, we don't interact with Chinese talent or players or anything because obviously we don't speak the same language. Uh, The fact that he can speak is really cool. And he is so down to earth, very humble, very nice guy. I was really happy to meet him. He's awesome. Very cool guy. And I hope that he, if he is interested, does more talent work in the future, or if he wants to play again at some point, it'll be really cool to see him on a Western team now that he can speak English. Like, that guy's legit. I like him a lot. Yeah, uh, I, I had such a positive experience with him. He seems very humble, uh, very, very friendly. He has nice charisma, you know? Like, just, it's just good vibes with him in the room. So, yep. He was. I want to say going into this event, he was already probably my favorite Chinese player, and that hasn't changed. So, um, speaking of China, because we've already covered some mail in China, we also have the new Chinese proposed potential super team, mm. which is Azure Ray, um, that have announced their roster, and they have got Lan M as coach first of all. So he has made the jump to this team. And their roster is Lou on carry, Somnus mid, Chalice offlane, FY position four, and Tianming position five. So this is this is potentially a banger roster, and I think Somnus is back. Yep, and their their goal is to you know get a, a Chinese superpower team again because. In reality, China's results for a while have been pretty disappointing, with the exception of, you know, PSG LGD, the old one. Yeah. Um, Aster got to taste a little bit of it somewhat recently, but still, you know, China as a region, with how strong this region has been, should be getting top four results almost every... It used to get top four results basically every major event, right? And we're not there anymore. The region just isn't producing as much new talent. They aren't getting the same results. And a lot of the old guard have either quit or gone to streaming. Um, but there's still some of the banging players left. And some of them are getting together here. Chalice, FY, and Somnus obviously have really great accolades. So I'm curious about this team. Um, it sounds like one of those teams that could just be incredibly good, or it could be another um, elephant, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um, I still, I'm still holding out hope for China that they can get some good results, but maybe that's another copium. Maybe that time has passed and the region just isn't that good anymore. Yeah. Jack doesn't seem too, uh, hopeful for the future of Chinese Dota. Okay. Let's talk about old G. Uh, I'm, I think I'm missing a slight bit of context with this. So they were disqualified out of div, uh, two because what was the actual, well, we'll talk about that. Let me just read this tweet from Seb. Okay. Explaining from his side. Two players standing in to help out major teams, not allowed to reschedule a game, rescheduled same time as major to keep our slot for Div 2, not allowed to use two stand-ins. Then he tagged PGL and a person at PGL. Very fun stuff. Provided zero care slash help besides stating the rules over and over again. Forced us to death loss, basically. PGL's tweet. At the end of the spring tour, Old G had to forfeit their tiebreaker match due to the team's inability to field a roster with at least four of their original players. While notifying Old G of this fact, one of their members violated our rules of conduct by threatening members of the admin team and exposing them to public harassment. 
We take harassment seriously in our rules, and as a penalty, OG will forfeit their spot in the summer tour close qualifiers, and we'll have to go through open qualifiers. Then a day later, <laughs> a day later, OG purchase a Div 2 slot from Puck Champ. <laughs> so they're back. <laughs> yeah, they took over Puck Champ slot, right? <laughs> I mean, okay. So first of all, that's obviously really funny on a power move, right? But let's let's go let's go back and take things from step one. So from my understanding, what happened was obviously in Seb's tweet, not all the information is there, but Two of their players were standing in at the major, so they couldn't play in the time slot that was allocated for their match. However, there were two matches still to be played, from my understanding, and one of them, the two stand-ins could have played if they swapped with the other match, if they swapped time slots. And supposedly, the teams in the other time slot were fine with swapping, is what I've heard. I cannot confirm this because mm. I haven't checked with those teams, but... If that's the case, then it could have just been a matter of swap the matches around and we're good to go. But that is not something that the organizer has to abide by. It's not something they have to do. And it's one of these tricky situations, or I don't know if you would say tricky, but you and I are kind of on the same page with stuff like this. That Letter of the you, law versus common sense. <laughs> yeah, yes. right. So it's about, it's about how you want to interpret rules. Because the thing about using common sense sometimes as well that can become a slippery slope if you don't do it properly is that um you end up for example in the past we've had instances where yeah you guys can postpone the match if it's okay with the opponent right and then right. then the burden falls on the enemy team which it never should if the players are there and they can play it's a hundred percent it's the organizer's call right so they might just make this completely black and white and they're like well the other teams might agree to swapping it, but it doesn't matter. We're going to play it at the scheduled time because the reason they accept might be because of fear of backlash from the community, or uh, maybe they're less comfortable with a new time, but they'll do it, you know, as a, you know, whatever. They'll they'll do it regardless because you know they old G have big names and whatnot. You know, whatever it is. The more pedigree a team has, the more risk there is that people are doing something to accommodate for them out of fear for the backlash, right? So from that angle, I totally get if PGL just say, no, guys, you're playing at the set time and we're following the rules. They're the same for everybody. That's it. Um, this is the kind of thing that will set Seb off and get him really pissed. And when Seb <laughs> is pissed, he is not afraid to speak up in public. He's not afraid to be a heel and, you know, say, the, say things the way he thinks they are without being particularly political. We've had an instance with a a fun Twitter DM in the past with did I fuck your girlfriend without her knowing, you know, like That's right. this kind of stuff. So he classic. He will take fights that he thinks are worth taking and he will not be the most political about them. That from my perspective is something he could do better is, you know, have a cuz aside from that, he's smart, he's charismatic, but his But it's fun I, to I talk about. His choice his choice of language is not the greatest a lot of the time and it rubs people the wrong way. So <laughs> Whether you want to say if he did the right thing or not here by complaining, that's one thing, but the way he did it was not the right way. So um, anyway, that's the conclusion on that. Obviously, now that they've slotted in via pug champ, now they have a slot again, and it's kind of a middle finger to PGL, I guess. And uh, it's within their right. There's nothing in the rules that prevents them from doing this. So I don't yeah, think it's going to be that's right. prevented by any means. Because at that point, you have the trump card of, okay, you didn't let us reschedule because well, of the strict rules well now you got to follow the strict rules and let us play because we acquired the slot 
Yeah, so that's that's right. There isn't really. It's kind of a checkmate situation, I think, where they're just in, right? I don't see how this would fail. Because, like, you can't really call this... Could you argue that this is, like, ban evasion? Not really, right? No. It's, I think it's well within the rules, so... If you're going to stick to letter of the law, then you kind of have to. But yeah, I, I'm not a big fan. Like, Obviously, we don't have 100% of the information, but PGL does have a track record for following it to a T, which... I was actually surprised by the comments the last time we talked about this. A lot of people actually are in favor of following things to a T, mm -hmm. which confuses me a bit. It's like, if you look at it like an extreme scenario, this is not related to Dota at all. Extreme mm -hmm. version of letter of the law. because Laws can be very complex and there's going to be loopholes. People that are like in, in the US, for example, that are in jail for life for murder and they could easily get off if they just take a DNA test, which wasn't allowed during the time of their trial or whatever. Like some bullshit like that. That's mm -hmm. following it to a T. And it's like, come on, dude. That's fucked up. Uh, but again, we don't have all the information for this one. So I can't say that's the case for sure. But some sort of hybrid needs to be. But you're right. If you, if you take the other side of it, the, uh, the other extreme is basically um, it leads to corruption, I guess. Right? Mm -hmm. So... Neither is really a good scenario, but yeah, it's that, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't want to shame any anyone for following the rules to a T. I, I just personally have a different take on it, where I think there are things that can happen, and you can't write rule sets that encompass everything. So the rule sets will always have like an asterisk, which is it's at the mercy of the admins to, or it's a, they have the power to. Uh, to overrule certain aspects at least given the circumstances like let's say the rules are you have to field four players from the team uh and it's it's a it's the finals of the qualifier for ti and then there's a literal fucking typhoon preventing two players from playing are you just going to dq the team and say unlucky guys you got hit by mother nature or are you going to try to, you know, push the match by three hours so the players can get to a land cafe somewhere else? Yeah, that's why. As an example, right? force like, majeure is in like every contract in existence. Right. And I'm not saying this falls under that because this was a deliberate choice the players made, right? They knew that the schedules would overlap. So they effectively made a choice. And I could see that. But at the same time, you don't know when you're going to that tournament exactly what the tournament schedule is looking like. You might be like hopeful. Oh, I hope. I hope things will line up, and if they don't, hopefully, you know, we can talk about it and work out a way that we can play that and the major, because this is a really big opportunity for me as a player. And I'm like, you know, if I'm looking at that and the teams are okay with swapping, like, you know, you could easily see that that's fine. But at the same time, if you want to follow rules to a T, I can also see that that's, that arguably could be construed as playing favorites, right? It's mm -hmm. like, would you have done that for the other team, or are you doing it because it's old G and they have these names, right? Right. And maybe PGL would rather avoid that headache and just be like, nope, same for everyone. We don't care. Um, you know. Yeah, I it's... think from a tournament organized perspective, it's definitely easier to play that card. But I think like for this one, since we don't have all the info, it's kind of gray mm -hmm. area. But for like the Fart Studios thing, I still think that that was a ridiculous decision. That was another great example. We had that a couple weeks ago, yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. It it sucks for the community anyway. when things like that happen, but is what it is, I suppose. All right, final topic, patch review. So our last, <laughs> it's been a while since our last podcast. Uh, that's when we did the, yep. the large patch review uh, or the 7.33 in which since then B version has come out. 
So what do we think from playing it, watching it, experiencing it in every facet? Things that you like, don't like, etc. Um, let's start with the pros. So I think the biggest pro of this patch is that it's the whole fu just fuck me up fam at the hairdresser kind of thing where you go there with a patch and you get something completely different. So everyone was like a beginner. There's a lot of exploring. There's a lot of figuring out and a lot of um, new stuff to master. So I think that's really, really good. Um, from my perspective, I think at least for now, I don't mind neither the Twin Gates nor the Tormentors. I think I'm not like a huge fan necessarily, but I'm also not against them. So mm -hmm. that for me is already better than the original neutral items design that I didn't like. Um, and overall, the the dynamic of moving around the map feels pretty fun. Uh, I think the gates are encouraging people to play more active and there's more stuff happening and it's less stale probably. So that's also good. And the bigger map, uh, the bigger map I'm a little bit indifferent about right now. I don't know how it's obviously a requirement to have a bigger map in order for these twin gates to even exist. But as far as what is around the rim of the map, except the tormentors, I don't know if the extra camps are particularly interesting. I don't know if I like the map layout more with the way the trees and the paths are just a little bit iffy. Maybe they could improve that, but Overall, that's pretty decent. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to follow up on that first, and then we can get to cons. For pros? My major pros. Uh, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. The fuck-me-up stuff is just having something different. That's the thing that, even now, even now that we're like two, three weeks past the, the actual release of this patch, I don't think we'll really know if the patch is good for a while. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that are going to fix that we'll talk about, but... Um, it's kind of impossible to know if it's good, you know. Absolutely. But I've enjoyed playing, you know, some new builds. Some of the new items are cool, like phylactery. I think it's cool on some heroes. Um, harpoon is really cool. That's the best item, I think. The, the coolest item that they've introduced. The neutral item changes were excellent. I'm sure that you're on board with that one as well. Yeah, I don't know how. I the tormentors the concept I'm neutral on maybe maybe slightly positive it's not like mm -hmm. a huge negative or positive in either direction the thing I don't like which I guess is a con is that they're fucking buildings why why couldn't they just make it a unit they're so uninteresting just a fucking building why like, if you made a unit and you didn't want it to, like, aggro anything, just make it not move. It's an immobile unit. Make it more interesting than a, this fucking pair, or this cube. I guess Time to, be really to boring. add to that, we had, uh, we didn't mention wisdom runes. Do you think they're better than tome as a design? Uh, I mean, that just that's just another, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, that's really hard to say. Because... Uh, so effectively, Requires what has happened movement. on the map, right, is that there's a lot more stuff. And what people initially at least thought was going to happen was that the map would be too big to fully control. But it still feels like when teams are ahead and have a really good grasp of the map, they are controlling the map very well. And that just means now there's more free shit for the leading team. There's the Wisdom Rune yep. that they didn't use to get. There's the Tormentor that they didn't use to get. Um, 
And there's the watchers to at least somewhat help maintain the map control if you're ahead. So yeah, I'm I'm not so sure. I, I think the wisdom room is a really interesting idea, but I actually am wondering if the frequency that they spawn and the amount that they give is correct for the game. Like maybe they should spawn more often and give less, for example. Um or yeah, it. I will say it feels safer for the losing team. I think. Right. Correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but let's get into the cons, I guess. If you pick up like a bounty, like, I don't like the idea of having to click faster than somebody for something that's like I would consider a pretty big objective. A bounty rune is okay because it's not that big. I feel like the wisdom rune is kind of a big deal right now. So oh, I, that's I, very. That's a fair point. The fact that it's just. So it's just a click battle. Like if you have two people there, she's like, okay, whoever clicks faster, I don't know. So yeah. th that aspect I it's don't like. It's kind of crazy um, when you put it that way. That is true. So I would say, I would agree that they just need to do less probably. Mm -hmm. um, I think my, so again, a lot of the cons that I have are like kind of slight and I'm still not sure how I feel except for one, which we've talked about on cast. The one thing I definitely do not like, and I've decided that I don't like it, is the Roshan pit locations heavily dislike yeah. them i, I think uh so ori my original idea was you you keep the roche pit on the top river and you just have an opposite pit on the bottom so it's basically mirrored and mm -hmm. he would swap between deaths but i mean the day night cycle also works that doesn't matter i think that's fine mm -hmm. i think having them so far away which is kind of required since you have gates now it feels like so that's why i don't think this is going to change which is kind of unfortunate what you're doing is you're putting Roche in the corner of the map, which means the angles in which you can get to the Roche pit are drastically different. The whole shrine or the outpost situation gives inherent advantage to one team over the other, and you can't take over some of them, right? A couple of them. Mm -hmm. So if you're taking, as a result of Roche being there, it means the team that, like, there's not going to be as much contesting going on because number one, they're in the corner of the fucking map and there's less angles to come from. There's going to be less Roche steals less you know fights in that area i think uh, obviously things can change which, whereas if you're in the middle of the map basically like it's going to be constant action um and i think having them closer to the river is cooler as well because if you're controlling one side of the map and then he changes to the other side you have to flip your like the territory that you're actually covering whereas with the current version, they're the corners of the map. Nobody's really holding those at any point, right? They're almost mm -hmm. like neutral areas. So I don't like that. And I strongly dislike the fact that on the third Roche, Ags is given to Radiant and the shitty refresher shard on Dire. Why? I think yeah. if you're going to keep it like that, then first of all, I think you should just give the same thing no matter what side he's on. But if you mm -hmm. want to keep it like it is, then the Ags needs to not be permanent. It needs to be a temporary buff like five minutes with an AGS, like the old neutral item used to be. I think that puts it in the same line as the refresher shard, probably. I mean, for me, I honestly think, so there's a couple of things that I think would be pretty just simple and good fixes to this. So I think, first of all, the third row should just always drop refresher shard and the fourth should always drop AGS because conceptually it feels like the AGS is on average the most valuable item of the two. You remove the element of like, which side Roche is on, and in the past you would also remove the element of luck. I also didn't like in the past that it was random between the two. I just didn't think it was good that way. Um, so just let third Roche have shard, fourth Roche has eggs. 
then the two outposts that are sitting next to the Roches need to either be capturable or be removed. Because the fact, as you said, that one team just has inherent advantage at any at one time of the day, sure, you can try to strategize around it, but in the end, it's not like fully fair in a way if you keep Roshan's respawn timer in mind. So Roche respawns between 8 and 11 minutes, right? So if he gets killed on one side of the map, and you do the math, it's very likely he will spawn on that same side again, right? Mm -hmm. And that arguably would lead, lead a bit to snowballing, because if one team has favor on that side of the map, it will favor them again a lot of the time. Um, and besides that, like regardless of whether this like math, how perfectly it checks out or whatever, it's like... At the end of the day, it doesn't feel. It just doesn't feel right that one team has a so, big advantage on on one side and one has a t an advantage on the other. Ignoring so, all the other stuff, tell me if this was the original, if they originally put this in, everything else staying the same. Do you think it would be a positive change where instead of day night, it's it spawns randomly the first time in one of the two, and then every time and it then dies, it's still the same positions. What do you mean? Well, like, I, I'm just saying, if you were to keep everything this, like, would this be an improvement on the current system? If you kept it where they were now, it spawns in one of the two. The first spawn mm -hmm. only is random. Every time it dies, it spawns in the opposite one. It just goes back and forth. It's not day-night cycle anymore. Do you think that's a positive change, or does that not make any difference? Uh, I think that's definitely a positive change if you keep the gates. And the way you're saying you are, right? Yes, I'm you're saying everything else stays the same. the outposts too? Just in, yes. Yeah. Just keep it easy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that would be an improvement. Um, I, I would agree with that change, but I don't think it's the best change. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. So, in the same vein of, of randomness, if you will, they've obviously changed the neutral items to a different system that I like a lot more. I think it's been well-received as well. The token system, people get to choose items. It's debatable whether it's fair that you can have many of the same neutral in the same team now. Like, maybe if you want to do something about that. You've seen, like, screenshots of people having four timeless relics. Yeah, but I think you um, can just nerf those. Now, I was thinking yeah. about it a bit more. I think some of them you are just the items, objectively good, right? better, or at least the consensus is that they're objectively yeah. better, whether the stats show that and or not. Then, or not. The RNG of the Tormentor, I don't like either, because it's like, he will drop a shard for the one of the bottom two net worths, which the first time will generally be two supports. The second time will be a support and a core. Um, the quality of shards is really different, and it's part of the hero design and balance, is how good their shard is versus their kit. Mm -hmm. So you will have some games where you get the really good shard for free, and you'll have some games where you get one you, didn't, you would have never even considered buying. Um, and then it just feels bad, right? I personally think there is a way around this where it might feel a little bit scuffed at first, but I think from my perspective, it's better design, but it does put agency on the players and maybe they're worried about griefing, but that's no different than Roche dropping ages and cheese and anybody can pick them up, right? Um, the Tormentor could just drop a shard token and the only two players that can pick it up are the two bottom net worths in your team the other players just get a meat map if they try to pick it up you know mm. that way you give agency and pro dota that would be way cooler because then you can choose who you want the shard on in a given moment so it's like strategizing and it can help with you know it can have an influence on how you draft now you're playing the game and in pub games the two guys with the shard can fight over it like wolves or they can you know agree on it who gets it but 
at the end of the day, if it becomes a click war between two players, then that's no less random than currently. <laughs> right? So like then you just need then you need to be there physically on your hero, I guess, is the one downside, right? In order to obtain it. Um yeah, I would say that another thing is that it just gets teleported to the neutral stash and the moment the tormentor dies, and then it's whoever buys it first. Then that's also again equally random as now. So yeah, I think that that I don't think it's really weird if you that. do that because then only two people can buy it, and that like UI wise, yeah. I think that's confusing. Mm, maybe it still it feels like something people will get used to pretty quickly. It's like it just needs to say only the two lowest net worths on the team at the time of drop can can purchase this item or something. Mm. I don't know. That that to me feels better anyway and the question is if that is also an iffy solution then maybe the system as it is isn't great with the way the shard drops I, yeah it feels I, a bit weird i agree that something's definitely missing um, um somebody in chat's yeah, actually wisdom runes. somebody in chat has made a joke but i actually think it's a good suggestion that you have a vote on who to give the shard of the bottom two net worths that's interesting doesn't that become too convoluted then at that point why and while you make that UI, you can actually implement the concede function as well, right? So kill two <laughs> birds at the once. <laughs> oh yeah, double double democratic <laughs> Dota. Yeah. By the way, I have to say, I, I, I understand why people are against the concede function every time they they get really mad when I say that, mm -hmm. because they're probably playing an EU server. <laughs> I played on EU for the first time ever. And the quality of games are so fucking drastically different than NA. It's mind-boggling. 15 years of playing Dota, never, not once on NA server, has a team just allowed us to finish the game properly. Like, obviously, like, we're up like 20 to 5. Like, okay, just end. And they just sit and... That literally has never happened to me in my pub games in NA. And just generally, even in losses, it's like, okay... Like, my team is definitely better than NA teams would have been, though. Like, this is at least somewhat competitive. Mm -hmm. So I can understand why they wouldn't want to concede. But NA, maybe it should be regional-based. NA should get a concede function, <laughs> please. Please, yeah. God. I mean, so effectively what you're saying is the quality of games in EU is better and people technically concede. So we don't need the concede yeah. function because people just give up. They concede now, in for me, that's way. a slippery slope because... There's a lot of times where some people give up, but not all. And yeah. that's where a concede vote can maybe arguably help in some situations. I mean, griefers are going to grief, right? If people don't give a fuck about the vote, then why does it matter? And that might also be what Valve thinks. Like, let's say you make a concede vote and you need the unanimous five to say yes before you give up. Then one person can just be like, fuck you guys. I really want to play, even though we've absolutely lost. I'm just going to keep you guys in here for the fun of it. Or... In other cases, it can be the other way around, right? That, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's uh, anyway. That was a side tangent. Yeah. Uh, um, where were we? Um, yeah. So other cons, not to pile on too much, but I knew <laughs> this was going to happen the moment the patch got released. It's not surprising. There's a subset of heroes that is way overpowered, and they just need to be changed. And when you fuck everything up this hard, there will be ten, fifteen broken heroes. Uh, the unfortunate thing is they are just that much better than the rest that drafting a TI, the first phases and this in general were relatively uninteresting because it was like, there's just like 10 heroes that are just too good, right? So they were picked or banned more or less every game. And yeah. it wasn't 
sometimes in previous tournaments we've had a dynamic like that where it's not because the heroes necessarily are mega broken, but because they're very flexible. And then you can argue, is that overpowered too? But it's at least more interesting because the draft gets more depth, whereas now it's just they are flexible on top of being broken. <laughs> Like Medusa and Alk, for example, were just first phase picks literally every game toward the end because well, you can even throw the deuce on support. You could throw the Alk on all three core rolls, and the heroes just the numbers are just unfair. Right? Vanguard, so, Crimson Guard, Pipe, too strong. Yeah, aura items definitely need nerf, uh, especially Pipe. I think is Pipe and Crimson are way overtuned, and it makes for more one dimensional play. And I think the patch leads to very. That's the problem. A lot of the games in this patch seem over minute 15 to 20, and it's because kills give a lot of gold, and then that's inherently not necessarily a problem, but the way gold converts to winning is way, way steep in favor of the leading team, simply because the auras are that powerful that when you're ahead, you the way most teams have been winning a lot of their games is just they become invincible. And that's not interesting to watch. It's like... 25 minutes in, one team has all the aura items, the other one doesn't, they clash, and one team literally can't kill anyone. And then they lose. Yep. And that's not interesting. You know, it's more interesting if it's about, okay, one team has a dagger and the other one doesn't, and it's about initiation angles and being clever. So You can counterplay, you can bait. What do you it's think about... the uh, go into the meat grinder, you can't die. It's like, eh. You, you brought know? this up earlier, the fact that when a team is ahead, they're controlling the map, and because there's so many more objectives now, that just snowballs even harder than before. Yeah. You think the entire idea of this patch was... We're making the map bigger, so it should, in theory, be a lot harder to control that much more yes, of the map. Especially, I think that was definitely the idea. Especially with only four wards, like they they changed the amount of wards you can buy, all this shit. But teams are still controlling the whole map, and thus are snowballing even harder because they have wisdom runes, they have the enemy tormentors, yeah, and all this shit. I definitely so. think that was the intention, and I think you can get there, and I think you can get there with this map, but you just need to make some changes to let it happen. How do you, um, how do you fix that, though? Um, I mean, there's, there's different buttons you can press, right? You can make stronger comeback formula. You can make... Um, you can move the Wisdom Rune, so it's safer for the losing team. You can move the Tormentor, so it's safer for the losing team. Right next to their fountain. As examples, or what's that? Put put it next to their fountain. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, there, there's definitely things you can do, and I think stuff will be done because I, the, the audience. A large criticism that I saw after this tournament from a lot of people was that too many games felt over minute fifteen, right? Yeah, and that you is don't accurate. want that. You you want you. It's a really delicate balance because you want teams to be able to build. A meaningful advantage without it seem genuinely hopeless mm. that early. That's not the kind of games people want. People want games that can end in thirty minutes and can also go to ninety. Um, and you 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 want people to be able to stomp, but also not stomp every game the same way. So having said that, it's, it's tough, am... man. Balancing Dota is really fun. Regardless hard. of I all think the issues, underestimate how big of a challenge it is. Regardless of all the issues, I'm just happy that they came out the patch right before the tournament. I think I don't I hope they don't regret that even though there's a lot of stomps it made the tournament much more interesting. So mm -hmm. I'm just happy that they did that. Okay, any other cons? <laughs> uh Talk about items, heroes. What about watchers? Do you like watchers? I'm indifferent. They're not they're fine, I think. 
Yeah, they're kind of whatever. If you don't have watchers, I think the map is too dark because yeah. it's so big in the ward limitation like you oh, talked about. Maybe so that's I a think good that's thing. Fine. Uh, and then I guess the immortal matchmaking is not a part of this discussion, right? Because that's not... You wanted to talk about the, the game itself, not the systems around well, it, right? let's go back. Hold on. If you get rid of watchers, doesn't that help the idea of not being able to control the whole map when you're ahead? Yeah, I, I mean, the, it definitely does that for the winning team, but you could also argue that for the team that is starting to be under pressure, it's one way of at least gaining some information. But then at the same time, you, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't thought about them too much. I think, honestly, people wouldn't hate if they just weren't there. Yeah, I, if they, if they deleted over. them tomorrow, I don't know if people would give a shit. I feel like people wouldn't care. I think it's the least loved system right now. Some of them are polarizing, where some people would definitely miss it. This one is kind of like, you know, who's truly going to miss Watchers? Yeah. I don't know. All right, well, you want to talk about Immortal, the, the pick yeah, system, so, I'm guessing, I mean, is what you're talking th about? This isn't really directly related to the map or anything, but... So Immortal Matchmaking was introduced, right, where you have drafting like you did in in-house leagues. The problem is people can currently, in the current system, you can party queue, um, which guarantees you to get in the same game, but you're not guaranteed to get in the same team. So effectively, this is like a, a haven for boosting right now, where you can have one guy queuing with you, and your sole goal is to make that guy win the game. So if you get in the same team, you try hard to win. And if you get in opposite teams, you can just throw for your friend. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely terrible, first of all, and should not be possible. Um, and then the second thing is about the overall quality of the games, which have definitely been very varying. And I think part of it is the patch, obviously, but also the early calibration, I think. The, the calibration has not seemed consistent. There were definitely... I had a game while I was in Berlin, and someone was like, the game started, and he was like, sorry, guys, I'm 4.5K. I don't know how I calibrated here. And he was playing in an 8K game. <laughs> and obviously, he, he, he bought an item that didn't make sense, and he played way worse than everyone else in the server. And at the end of the day, you just feel bad for everyone involved in your team, right? It's bad for him because he's way out of his depth, and it's bad for everyone else because they're playing with someone who could, could also just be a griefer, right? Like in that scheme, of the, in that scale, it's just it's just bad, you know. Um, obviously, Valve somewhat hot fixed it, and I think they got the most egregious people out of the bracket that they weren't supposed to be in. But I don't think it's fully cleared. Mm -hmm. And you have examples of people in their calibration climbing 1.5k within the immortal bracket. I think, I think Soxa I heard dropped from 12k to nine, <laughs> and I think Waga went up from 8.8 .8 to 10.2. And it's like, there will be variants in this. People are obviously going to move, but I think it's fair to say that Soxa is a better player than Waga, and this calibration should not be moving people thousands of MMR over the small sample that it ultimately has. Mm. If you want to move people thousands, I think you need more confidence than it's giving them, probably. Mm. Um, so it's, yeah. It is what it is. Over time, this is obviously all going to stabilize. You give it months, people will get back where they belong, but it's probably just kind of annoying for some players, to be honest, Yeah, um, that they get moved so much. Somebody in chat reminding us of one more mechanic we didn't discuss. Lotus pools? Oh, I, yeah. I kind of don't like them, actually. I don't uh... hate, hate them, but they do feel similar to 
shrines in some way, except you just they're smaller and you have to constantly go back and forth. The whole block of cheese sounds cool, but it's just a weird thing that you're never gonna see. Yeah. I don't like the system. I don't like. I think. I think the lotus pools are okay, but I think it should give less. Um, I mean, let's whoever say gets the first lotus at minute three, it's pretty big. It's 125 health and mana as a potion. You can just use with no shared cooldown with wand. So whoever gets the three minute lotus will often be able to get a kill in the lane. And it's one of those things where is it fair that you get that kind of an advantage from just having you know, the right amount of resources or the right stun at the right time or whatever, or clicking faster. Um, I don't know. I'd like to see it be less. I, I'm not inherently mega against them, though. Um, I mean, if they were deleted, do you think people would be really upset? Or would they be like... No. Me neither. Not. So it, that's, it's, it's a tie with Watchers for what people are least invested in on the map. I agree. Um, so that begs the question, what's yeah. the point then? They've already added so many other objectives. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, effectively, you got to remember the whole theme of this patch was let's make a lot of new shit, right? So, yeah. Then you can obviously conclude later on was this too much or was this a bad system or whatever. But you just want to throw stuff in there and make people excited and make them want to play and discover and explore, right? And it's definitely accomplished that. But I would be surprised if literally every system put in this game is still there in half a year. I think some things will just get removed or replaced. That could be Watchers, it could be Pools, it could be Tormentors. You know, I don't think everything stays the same way it is. Hmm. Um, there are other things you can do to make the Pools fairer. You could, instead of making them a potion, they could be a region over time that is cancelable, like Clarity or Salve. Or I was thinking, this just popped in my head now, but... Instead mm -hmm. of having a consumable, what if the fountain was just like a very small version of the actual fountain? So it gives healing and mana regen. And when you're standing there? Yeah, when you're standing there. But then if an enemy is within range, then it cancels it out and you neither get that. So it's forcing you to be in that area. You can maybe <laughs> add something on top of that. Like, like domination on I, a fountain. Well, no, you don't, you don't have to take over, but just like being in the area will not allow yeah, them yeah, to heal. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not saying that that's literally the first thing that came to mind. I think something can be done with that thought, though, to make it cool. I just, I'm not a big fan of the Lotus things right now. The Watchers, mm -hmm. more, actually more neutral on Watchers. I don't, I think I actively don't like the Lotus Flowers, but it's not like I hate them either. And so. I, the, the other thing about the Lotuses is the fact that they stack, right? So... Early on, the little Lotuses are really impactful in laning, and then it's like they have this dull phase where you kind of just stack them up and then they get really good again mm. so like the fact that you can stack them the way that you can and how they impact a fight seems very again that's another thing that's just winning team favored right if you're ahead and you control the pools you now also get free heals in fights so you're even harder to kill and we saw games at this major where Medusa would survive specifically because she had a Lotus Flower. Um, and that could, if she didn't have that, the losing team might have made a big comeback. But look and behold, Medusa presses one button and has an extra 2,000 EHP, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Definitely a bit. The more we talk about it, the less neutral I am. I find that. I'm kind of with you that this isn't 
necessarily good, but I don't want to say just remove them from the game because I think you can tweak these to make them interesting concepts in their own right, but the current yeah, system maybe. is not ideal. Uh, all right, anything from the patch that we're missing? That was quite I think a those bit. were all the big things, at least. Yeah, I, so I, I agree with you that I think Watchers, Tormentor, and the Lotus Flowers will get some work. Mm -hmm. And become better for the game. I really hope they move the rush pits too. Just that, move them slightly more toward the center. They don't so, have to be in their old positions, but make it more interesting how you can access the pit and remove the inherent one side advantage so depending the, on time of day. I'm sure the outposts then, will be changed. Yeah. I don't see the rush pits changing much though. That's the thing I'm sad about. I, I don't see them changing the terrain that drastically. Like when you say slightly move, what does that mean? Like move it, let's say you move it 500 range northwest for the south one and southeast for the north one, and then 500 make some range. pathways around it that make it more engaging. Because right now the problem is it feels, accessing the pit is very linear, right? It's like you can kind of only come from one side, and with the old pit you could come from two. Yeah. If you move the pit toward the center, you will have an, a backstab angle, heroes that have dagger, heroes that have force staff, heroes that have inherent blinks or mobility can find perhaps different paths if there's a little bit more space to work with to mm -hmm. get around it um but even that might not be enough maybe i if you could move it back to where it was i would agree with you that that's a better position to have it to be honest um and just have it mirrored on the other side of the river if you could generate interesting and fair terrain there that would be fine with me yeah i mean that's the thing i don't i don't if they're going to change the roche pit stuff it's going to be slight changes which I don't know if that's going to be enough, but mm -hmm. we'll see, I suppose. Somebody, again, thank you to chat. Universal Heroes, we forgot to talk about. Oh, Your yeah. thoughts on that? Damn, there's so After much After the stuff. fact, I mean... Uh, I, I'm holding out on judgment for that for now. I feel like that's the thing I understand the least, actually, in the game, mm. is how powerful is that stat? You saw a couple of heroes being picked more specifically because they're universal, primarily Wind Ranger and Void Spirit. Got a lot more love. Um, but I can't say yet whether it's good or bad for the game. Yeah, I think uh, part of it has I will to do say, with I don't find it these... like particularly interesting. Yeah, I agree. But... Like if if <laughs> if they reverted that, I don't think anybody would care. That's another one where it's like you could change that and people probably wouldn't mind. Yeah. I mean, I will say oh, Wind Ranger players would mind, right? And Void Spirit. <laughs> yeah. But I think part of it has to do with like these heroes buying very general stuff that have extra like you know, Maelstrom, for example, is just so much better now. Uh, these heroes buy stuff that are from multiple attributes, for example, so they end up getting more net stats out of it than they would before. But aside from that, I don't, I, I don't see a point to it. But mm -hmm. that's the thing about this patch; it's so large that, and I said this at the beginning, but I had to restate it: it's going to take a long time to truly digest everything. Some of the stuff we might be horribly wrong with that Valve has, you know, envisioned that we'll be seeing at some point, but that's our two weeks yeah. out thoughts, I guess. Yep. Well, how long has it been? It's been it's been longer than two weeks now. About two weeks, right? A bit more, two and a half, maybe. Uh, but yeah, it's still exciting. Um, but we'll just have to see if it's good for the game. No fucking clue. This could be. Horrible for the game. This could be a horrible patch. 
but how long do you think it'll take for us to actually know? We'll end on that. I mean, the fact that TI is like five months away gives me quite a lot of hope that TI will be on a good version. Okay. Um, but it is possible that even come the next major, or at least DPC, that the game will still have some major flaws. Not, not like in terms of bugs or whatever, or the game not functioning, but just not being as fleshed out and polished as it could be. So I guess that is the major upside, actually. If we loop back around all the way to when we were talking about TI dates, this year, that might actually be a good thing for the quality of games. Fair. That the patch has more time to grow. Because if TI was in three months, or three and a half, um, that extra month and a half to two months might actually make a pretty big difference for how good the game's going to end up being. So. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's an odd one out. Okay. That does yeah, it for that's us all I have. on this episode. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for watching, listening, all that good stuff. Uh, we'll be back next week as per norm, back to the normal schedule, as it were. Yes, sir. Uh, maybe a guest episode. Who knows? Mm. Let's not promise anything, though. All right. Until <laughs> next time, approach. Suns Fan and Cinder and signing out. Goodbye, everybody. We say things that don't mean anything. Subscribe. But thanks for listening. Yeah.